When I spoke to my first guest for this episode, we had a small audience. Hello. (laughs) British-born and recent Australian expat Katie and I were with her cousin Becky. You'll hear from Becky in the episode on rituals, but for now... Um, Yes, I used to obsessively collect Kit Kat wrappers. Don't know why. This is Atypical, a podcast about the habits, preferences and quirks that make us us. I'm Ivana Ho and today we're talking about collections. We'll meet Dominic, whose love of Superman has been taken to new heights, and Ian, who'll share his personal connection to a particular Japanese anime character. Finally, there's Margaret, a non-drinker who has amassed a collection of over 7,000 miniature liquor bottles. But before all that, let's return to Katie. So what Kit Kat wrappers would you collect? I had some from Japan. One was lemonade, one was Coca-Cola, and they were actually fizzy, so I liked those ones. I had... Lots of limited edition ones. One time in Britain, they bought out the single, like a big long wedge of Kit Kat um, as like a single cat, they called it. So that was exciting. So I kept that wrapper and then all the limited edition flavors. I just found it like a fun thing to collect and reminded me of, you know, places I'd been and Kit Kats I'd eaten. (laughs) So you mentioned to us before that you used to preserve these wrappers? <laughs> I just stuck them on my wall with blue tack and my mum hated it because, um, yeah, just my wall as a, in my family home was just covered in Kit Kat wrappers, which was a bit gross. <laughs> How many Kit Kat wrappers did you get up to? I think it was 15 or 20, like not too many, but enough to be noticeable on someone's wall when you walk in. <laughs> Wait, so which walls would you plaster them over? It was just on like above my desk in my bedroom. I had like a cork board with sort of gig tickets and stuff like that. And then above it was just stuck all these Kit Kats. (laughs) Did you wash the Kit Kat wrappers before (laughs) you put them up? I mean, you lick them to make sure all the chocolate gets out, of course. So they were clean in that respect. Uh, They weren't going moldy up there. So... (laughs) And you never uh, ended up collecting the wrappers of anything else like you know you don't have like the Kit Kats above your desk and then all the chip packets you've ever eaten like on the no, other one I have no idea why it was Kit Kats I think it became like a personality trait when I was a teenager and I was like this is fun I'm gonna keep going with this for a bit um but no nothing else just that and when did you get rid of these Kit Kat wrappers when I moved to Australia because my mum insisted that I clean out my family bedroom um which was fair enough and that was the first thing to go so how did you feel about having to dispose of these <laughs> I think it felt good I think they'd been there for a bit long at that point so um I was you know it's a time in my life that's passed so I was happy to get rid of them have you started collecting anything else <laughs> no no, nothing yet. I'll wait and see. Watch the space. <laughs> My name's uh, Dominic and I am a huge Superman fan. 
Some years ago, a friend of Dominic's got him back into collecting DC Comics. The problem is that there's just so many that come out um, every week and every month and stuff like that. And at, at one point, I was probably spending $100 a week on comics, and I just thought, oh, this is this is getting out of hand. Um, so I thought, oh, you know what, from now on, I'm just going to get only comics that are specifically Superman ones. And then I thought, well, whilst I'm saving all this money not buying all these other comics, I may as well spend that money on other Superman paraphernalia. What do you think lies behind your drive to collect stuff? I've always been a collector. Like I've collected heaps and heaps of different things um, over the years. When I was about 20 years old, 20 years old, our family house burnt down, and so like I sort of lost all my material possessions then. And I don't know, like mm. you know, I think for some people, maybe having something like that might make you realise that that you know, material things like just didn't matter. Um, but I don't know. I guess maybe. Maybe I went the other way and <laughs> I just started collecting even more stuff. Um, I think I think my parents are probably both diagnosable hoarders, but they don't necessarily collect anything. They yeah. just don't throw anything away. I see. Yeah. And so then I guess seeing how they don't throw anything away, that <laughs> hasn't, you know, led you to go in the other direction. <laughs> No, no. Um, I mean, uh, th- there have been times in my life where I've decided to cull huge amounts of my belongings, like things that I sort of felt were like superfluous. About a decade away, I sold, oh, I wouldn't even know how many CDs. Like over the course of a week, I think I just sold like five or 600 CDs that I'd been collecting. And the, I guess the disappointing thing about something like a CD is it had almost no collectible value, uh, like in terms of money. And so it meant that, you know, sometimes I was going to a shop and selling this CD that I'd paid $45 for and selling it for 50 cents to like a secondhand CD shop. And that's that's a pretty feels bad moment. <laughs> so, you know, I guess with, um, you know, with more specific stuff like, even if it doesn't uh, uh, um, appreciate in value, it definitely doesn't depreciate. Dominic now owns about a thousand different Superman comics. In the past year, he's bought around 40 Superman pop vinyl statuettes. He also has Superman themed clothes, vinyl pins, stickers, and a cookie jar. The things he buys are of the serious Superman variety. Explained what that means. Superman's been around since before before World War Two, and like you know, in the the forties and the fifties and sixties, like some of the stuff that, I, that Superman was getting up to was pretty silly. Quite frankly, like you know, whole issues about him going to the dentist and being scared about going to the dentist and stuff like that, which just seems seems a bit ridiculous. And so, you know, in that. If I'm sort of looking at like statues or statuettes or whatever to buy, like I generally try to go for ones that are a little bit more serious. I like the idea of Superman kind of holding back virtually unlimited power. Um, and so I, I generally go looking for Superman statues where 
it looks like he's just really about to kind of lose his temper. Whereas <laughs> lots of the really cartoony and goofy looking ones, which there are plenty of, are usually the ones that I try to steer clear of. Because like you said, there's so much out there. And I mean, you know, if I had all the money in the world, you know, it wouldn't be a problem. But when I don't, yeah, it has to be a bit, a bit more selective. Dominic's first encounter with Superman was watching a cartoon from the 70s when he was a kid. Do you remember what the impression was that he left on you, if he did leave any kind of notable impression? I think it was that contained justice. The main thing I can remember from this cartoon is, you know, just like a generic gangster-style henchman, I don't know, probably robbing a bank or doing some other, like, low-level crime and being confronted by Superman and the gangster like shooting at Superman and, and Superman doing the like the, the the least he absolutely had to to kind of subdue this guy. Whereas in other Superman iterations where he's like he's strong enough to move Earth out of the way of some sort of impending doom, like the idea that he's got enough strength to do that, but then can also exhibit so little uh, strength to, you know, subdue without doing, uh, like, any real permanent damage to, like, just an average person. It's always struck me as such a, like, well-controlled, like, level of power, I guess. There's a lot of comic book characters that do this, but I like in particular the way that a lot of the writers write him into doing things that, I don't know, it's, it almost seems like below the importance of the things that Superman should be concentrating on, but at the same time they're also like really important things to be concentrating on. So, for instance, there was a run of uh, three comics just called Superman Smashes the Clan, and that's basically just about Superman going around and just beating up racists. And I guess Superman does just, you know, embody that that real sort of justice in the sense of, you know, fighting for the people who, you know, need someone to stick up for them. And there was, like, not long after 9-11, one of the, one of the Superman comics' the front pages was just a picture of Superman looking up at a, a mural of, like, first responders, you know, like, and on some police officers and firefighters and stuff like that. There's murals up on the wall and the, and the people are, are way bigger than Superman. He's just looking up at the wall and it's like a thought bubble sort of coming out and he's thinking like, you know, those guys are the real heroes because, you know, it's, you know, it's relatively easy for him to mm. go around saving people when virtually nothing can help him. And I guess, you know, from his perspective, he considers that, you know, just the average human who's putting their, like, actually putting their life at risk, you know, has, like, a lot more sort of heroic potential than he does. There are a lot of people out there who collect Superman paraphernalia. There are far fewer 
who name their children after Superman, as Dominic did. So you mentioned in our conversation online that you named one of your sons after Superman? Yeah, so we've currently got twin boys um, uh, who are four months old. Naming kids is always a challenge. And, and I've got uh, you know, a pretty crazy, wacky spirit, whereas my wife's like more into traditional names. And so for a long time, I half in jest and half seriously was suggesting that uh, Clark and Bruce were good names <laughs> for the boys, as in Clark and Bruce Wayne. And she wasn't uh, sold on that at all. <laughs> but one name that we did really like was um, was Henry. And I said to, to my wife, well, if Henry's a good name, would you consider having Clark as a second name? And she said, uh, oh, yeah. And so I sort of thought to myself, well, Henry Cavill is my favourite Superman depiction on the screen. So I said, you know, can we call him Henry Cavill? Um, oh, sorry, can we call him uh, Henry Clark? Um, and she agreed to that. And then when the twins were born, one of them was slightly smaller than the other one. My wife said to me, oh, I'm sure that you want to name the larger one Henry Clark. And I, and I, and I, and I said to her in a, a pretty in a pretty silly way, I said to her, no, that doesn't, that doesn't make sense because because anybody knows that when Superman first came to Earth, because he wasn't acclimatised to Earth's atmosphere uh, and the yellow sun of Earth, he was actually quite weak for most of his infancy. So for that reason, um, I think that the, the smaller one of the twins should be named Henry Clark um, to show that... He's, uh, he's currently small and weak, but hopefully he'll grow up to be, um, you know, someone who has those ideals and, and so on, so forth as Superman. Staying with pop culture, the next person you'll meet is Ian. The first item from his collection that I saw was one I came upon almost inadvertently. I'd entered his house through his garage, and inside was his street racing car. It had a custom license plate. We were just looking at that number plate before. Did you want to say what that is? Yeah, so it's it's a uh, three seven six six six, which is the um, number plate she uses on her scooter. She is Shima Rin, a character from the Japanese anime Yuru Camp, or Laid Back Camp, as it's known in English. Eurocamp is more mood than plot. It's such a cozy show and yeah. it's like really relaxing and has a very warm kind of tone to it. Um, did you want to talk about just what the show is about and kind of what happens um, oh, yeah. episode to episode? No, certainly. Um, not much episode to episode. Um, it's basically just a bunch of high school girls who decide to try out camping within Japan. One of the characters, Rune, she goes solo camping by herself and it's basically over the, over the two seasons about her being more open with other people who are into the same hobbies as, as she is and um, she starts going camping with, I think by the end of it, you'd, you'd class them as friends. So 
So Rin is just one of the characters on this show and she's not even really the main one, I don't think. So what is it about Rin that appeals to you? Um, I think she, she's the first character you see in the show. Um, I think just her demeanour, etc. She's um, she's not really over the top or anything, I think, for people who are more on the introverted side of the house would um, certainly draw some comparisons to Rin. She's one of those who just likes doing things by herself on her own terms in her own time, um, quite comfortable being being by herself doing her own thing. So it's, it's one of those things of, I think for, and she's she's gained massive popularity. I mean, she's she's by far and away the the probably biggest mascot for the show. Um, but I think for a lot of people, it's a it's a drawing a comparison to. I wish I could be that comfortable in myself. Um, and plus, she's just I don't know. She's got like a really dry sense of humour, etc. So it's I don't know. There's just something about her. She's just it's just comfortable watching her do things. Really, as odd as that might sound. <laughs> I think as I as I see her, it's one of those. I wish I could be that comfortable in myself. Um, yeah, it's one of those things of I wish I could just go out and go camping by myself, go out do my own thing in my own time without worrying about what other people might think, etc. And then also, you know, how she slowly opens up over the two seasons and makes friends, etc. Yeah, that that's something that I think for for myself and probably some other people out there, that's something that. They kind of wish they had that, that small circle of really close friends that you know, they can go out and do stuff with, but at the same time can go out and do their own thing in their own time as well. Mm. So you don't have many friends? No, not really. Um, yeah, there's friends from work and friends from small other bits and pieces, but, but really it's a, I mean, yeah, it's one of those things of, would I say I have like a really close friendship group? Not, not really, no. Mm, yeah, I mean, I've certainly felt the same envy in watching friendships play out on screen and, you know, you're, you're kind of warmed by the sight of it, but then, you know, there's this other part of you that thinks, you know, that, that experience is kind of like a bittersweet longing yeah, of, you know, I wish I had that too. Yeah, no, 100%. So, um, but I think it's one of those things, like, like a lot of the other, um, shows it's something that you can sit down and you can put on and you can feel comfortable watching etc and it's, it's just it's one of those takes you away to another place for half an hour before you come back to come back to real life so mm. yeah in one of the clips i watched shima rin makes a small one pot meal she lays out the pre-chopped ingredients on her small camping table takes her time combining the ingredients. And then, when she's done, carefully eats the hot spaghetti. It's good, so she raises a mini pot to her mouth and sips some of the steaming broth. A look of ecstasy crosses her face as she exhales into the cold air and the camera pans to show her sitting on a low camping chair, all alone on a hill. Mauve mountains in the distance, and the sun setting behind a silhouette. It's a sort of scene that could convert a non-believer into trying solo camping, or to get back into camping, as Ian was inspired to do from watching the show. I was thinking how solo camping would 
be like a really great introverts activity? To an extent, yeah. It's I think I think as well. It's a it's a good it's a good activity, but it's also the getting out and, and doing it in the first place. I mean, I've I've got all I've got all the camping kit there, etc. But it's still that whole taking the step because you just never know who you might come across, etc. And that's I think from a introvert's perspective, um, that's one of the biggest hurdles is taking that first step. I think once you've taken that step, you can kind of start rolling with it. But it's always that that first hurdle. I mean, the show just made it made it look so appealing. Like I know that in my heart of hearts, I don't enjoy camping, <laughs> but um, yeah, the show just makes it look so like cozy. You got your little one person tent set up, and yeah. you can just like sit there and crack open a book in front of a fire, and you eat out of one pot, and yeah, it just all looks so nice. Yeah, hundred percent. It makes it look a lot more. Um, a lot easier than it is, um, and a lot more stress-free than it is. But I guess I, I, it's one of those things: is it, it, it shortens the whole setup breakdown. But ultimately, once you set up and you and you're there, it is a nice, relaxing experience. So let's take a look at some of the items from your collection. Do you Certainly, want to show me some um, of it. I'll take you over to the main ones first. We're in a room that connects to his kitchen on one side and to his living area down a short flight of stairs. In this room, there's a spare and immaculately kept glass cabinet along one wall, with figures of Shima Rin spaced out along the shelves. I've got two shelves of figures, uh -huh. um, all imported from Japan, obviously, so just different releases she's had. Um, one's for a, to go on a um, curry pot noodle as a noodle stopper, a couple of different Nendos, a couple of different scale figures, etc. Um, plushie to hang from the rearview mirror if I want to. Mount Fuji wind chime magnet puzzle never opened. I don't think I'll ever open it. So, mm. um, and some of these had to be gotten through Yahoo Japan auctions, etc., because they they just won't be released out here. So it's going through mm. the the joys of Yahoo Japan and a proxy to buy them mm. and get them across. So, which is your favourite figure out of all these? I think my favourite is probably her in her camping chair with her camping setup. It's just really comfortable, relaxing, especially now in winter. It's just she's nice and cosy and warm. Part of Shima Rin's camping setup is that small table I mentioned earlier in describing part of an episode from the show. Fun fact, I have that table outside as well in real life. <laughs> oh, wait, how, how do you have that table? So it's like this square grey table that looks like it's been made of um, a few planks of wood that have been put together. So that's actually a, a replica from a real-life camping piece of equipment. Oh. And because of the show, I went and bought that real-life piece of camping equipment. And so who made who uh, it? That one is captain stag i believe off the top of my head which is a japanese camping company so right. that's where some of her stuff um is actually based on real life products um and so people started to hunt down what she's wearing etc and they go oh that it's actually this product in real life so then i same with the beanie etc um went and bought the real life product okay. that, that it's actually based off of. Right. And do you use it? Yes, I do. <laughs> it, it was one of those things of if I, if I buy these things, I've got to use them as well. I just can't sit there and be a ornament. I've, I'm definitely going to use them if I go camping, So, which yeah. I do. And, and it actually, it works really well, so it's been good. <laughs> Very cool. All right. And what's next? Uh, so then over here, I've got the majority of the rest laid out. 
So I've got a mouse pad of her face, glow in the dark key tags of her number plate, a couple of different um, charms, etc. Some air fresheners. Uh, the mobile phone rings at the end, a pin for my suit jacket, which I do occasionally wear at work, oh. um, a bunch more other charms, some ear mufflers. They're ones actually I don't wear because I, I find them uncomfortable, but yeah. it's just one of those things. Yeah. Um, a couple of t-shirts, a tie, which I do wear at work as well, um, which actually gets good comments, so mm. I'm surprised at that. The tie has maroon, pale blue, slightly darker blue, and white stripes. The same colours as Shima Rin's scarf. If you peer closely, you'll see a little embroidery of her scooter on it. To a layperson, it looks just like a regular tie. It's just one of those things I can, I can wear and people don't really understand. They just think it's a nice coloured yeah. yeah. And so what does it mean to, for you and to you when you like wear the tie and, you know, and, and clearly it's, there's some kind of significance there for you, but other people don't know what the tie is referencing. Mm. I, it's just comfortable wearing it. And I don't know, it's just, it's one of those things of in a, in a workplace where, hey, you've got to be, you know, somewhat serious the whole day, etc. It's just nice being able to wear the tie and going, I know what this tie means. It's a, it's a bit of fun. I'm having a bit of fun at work type of thing. So, mm -hmm. yeah, it's good. To show me his collection, Ian had brought most of it to a table in the room where we were standing and laid out the various items. The items usually live around the house, clothing in closets and drawers, other things stored away in boxes. Shimarin keychains get rotated on and off his keys. Would you say that... Um kind of wherever you are there's always some kind of reminder visual reminder of Shima Rin? Yes absolutely I've got a small one just down on my computer downstairs a small little I've got like three of the same Figures? figure so yeah. I've got I've got one just in front of my computer I used to have one at work but I don't, I don't anymore um, but yeah there's always there's always something there's always something around mm. to do with her so and how does it make you feel when you, you know, see something of Shima in? I say it's more just calming. Um, I think it's just one of those, I, I wouldn't say it's, it has a major impact if I'm, if I'm super stressed at work or anything. It's not like it's going to completely relax me or anything, but it's one of those, it's just one of those nice little reminders of what's at home and what's outside the work environment, etc. It's just one of those things. I know, I know a lot of people go, oh, it's anime or it's figures, it's going to be horrible, but it's, it's just one of those things. It's a, um, I like her character and I like her design and I like her personality, so it's one of those, um, I don't know, it's just nice. I guess being, being, the, being the complete introvert I am, etc. it's just nice having something at home that makes me feel as relaxed and comfortable as she does. Each one. Oh, yeah, wow, okay. The last person we're meeting in this episode is Margaret. Wait, is this a real peach? No. It's no? A bottle. Okay. 
Margaret collects miniature liquor bottles. It really, really feels like a real peach. It's quite convincing, actually. And so what's it got? Does it have something inside of yeah, it? Yeah, peach liqueur. Ah. Yep, and we've got trees, but they've got a cream de Mont in them. She has around 7,000 of these bottles, made of glass and ceramic. In one cabinet in her living room, where we are now, there are 900 mini whiskey bottles alone. But mostly, she prefers to collect ones that look like things other than liquor bottles. So she has thousands of bottles, resembling everything from traditional Amsterdam houses, to animals, to sporting equipment, to a certain rock and roll icon. I've got Elvis Presley at the back there that sings Love Me Tender. Oh, what? Can, can <laughs> yeah. we see that? Yeah. Yeah. See, so it sings Love Me Tender? No, just the tune. Wind it up. Yeah. A, yeah. Okay. Right at the bottom. And then it's inside uh, bourbon whiskey. Ah. Inside the bottle. Gosh. Yeah. And here, the weirdest one I've got is the man's sperm down there <laughs> as well. Wait, can I see that? Yeah, of course you can. See? The sperm had heads of plastic with black eyes drawn on them and wiggly clear bodies filled with coloured liquid. One was blue and one was green. They looked like they could be novelty pens. (laughs) (laughs) Margaret's collection started 42 years ago when she met her husband Richard. At the time, he was running a liquor store, which was where Margaret first laid eyes on a miniature liquor bottle. And that's where I saw them and I went, oh, cute, and he gave me it and that <laughs> kicked off my, my collection. <laughs> Crazy. Since then, she's been adding to her collection every week. Sometimes people send them to her from their travels, but mostly she gets them from antique fairs and swap meets. Mm. Wow, yeah, this collection is so cool. Yeah, you know, I never, never knew that these existed. And now I'm seeing like 7,000 of them. Do you want to see more? I've got more in here. (laughs) She takes me to another space, just off from the dining room. There's more in here. Oh, wow, okay. So these are more kind of traditional bottles. Yeah, they're a bit more common than the ones I've got in there. Although she collects liquor bottles, Margaret doesn't actually drink. Tiny, tiny little bottles. And then you've got, like, proper size bottles and things up there. They're all for my cakes. (laughs) (laughs) How do you decide what to buy when you go to an antique fair, like, apart from getting ones that you don't already have? I make sure it's unusual now. I don't get the common ones anymore. Mm -hmm. I make sure they're ceramic or they look like that. There's corn. Mm. I make sure they're... That I don't have it unusual. Mm. Yeah. So. Well, thank you so much for showing me your collection, Margaret. It's all right, Ivana, anytime. <laughs> so, do you ever see any? Think of me. <laughs> Atypical is produced by me, Ivana Ho. I'd like to thank everyone I spoke to in this episode as well as my earlier three. I'll be taking a short break 
Cooper will be back with you in early 2023. Talk to you more next year. And as always, stay quirky.